and welcome to the first official episode of the Backwards K podcast. I am your host, Coach Puma, and we're going to get right into it. So this episode, we're going to talk about what is coaching philosophy. Now, coaching philosophy can be a ton of different things, um, but what I really want to focus on in this episode specifically is to define what coaching philosophy is and then go through a couple of things of checklists. Now, the good thing about coaching philosophy is that, yeah, you tweak it based on the age group of your players, whether you're teaching t-ball all the way up to varsity sports, um, but the foundation of it stays the same. And what do I mean by the foundation? So uh, your coaching philosophy consists of your major objectives and beliefs and the principles that you have as a coach to achieve those set exec objectives or objectives that your team is set, whether it's season objectives or personal objectives or whatever the case may be. So as we all know that, you know, being a coach is not easy. It's very challenging. And, you know, you need to make ethical decisions sometimes. And that might go against your coaching philosophy or it might, you know, make it stronger and a stronger bond to your team based on that. Um, you know, your coaching philosophy guides you on how you behave and how you interact with your players and your coaches and your administration if you're in the, in the school system coaching or, um, you know, or your little league board or anybody that you might have to answer to as a coach, right? Your coaching philosophy is how you interact with your those people that are in your circle or just outside of your circle that you need to report to. So first things first. Okay, with my coaching philosophy has changed over the years. Now, I like to think of myself as a good coach or I wouldn't be doing this podcast. And in my journey as a coach, my philosophy has changed year to year. Now, why? It depends on the players. It dep- depends on the players' personalities. It depends on your your coach's personalities if you have a new coaching staff every year. It depends on you as well. You know, your coaching philosophy is very fluid, meaning it can change. It can change from game to game. It can change from what you see on the field of practice one day, and then you're going to implement that in the game the next day. Coaching philosophy is fluid, right? But one of the most important things about coaching philosophy is be yourself. Be who you are. If you like to joke, joke with your players. If you like to want to be more buttoned up, be more buttoned up, right? But being yourself, no matter what it is, is really, really important, right? You know, for me, for the people that are listening who know me, you know, I love to have fun. You know, I love to have fun. I love to be in the middle of it. I love talking to players and being personal with the kids and having fun and joking around. But I also know when to be serious, so the kid, I was already the kids know and the players know when it's time to be serious and when it's time to play, right? If we lose a game and we don't show up, it's not time to joke, you know. If we lose a close game, you know it's tough and you know, but we played well and we just didn't get a bounce or something and something didn't go our way. Yeah, you know, you're a little bit more easier on the kids, and you know, when you win, everything's always great. <laughs> you know, winning is one of the best medicines. So, you know, but when when it comes to practice time, you know, when to joke around during practice, when we need to get stuff done, you know, being myself from the get-go with the kids is 
probably one of my major reasons why I'm so successful. Um, in the promo episode, I kind of mentioned, you know, some relation relationships, and we're going to talk about that in another episode. But my relationship with the kids drives my philosophy. So when I mean when I also say we're going to stick with the be yourself portion of this list, being yourself doesn't mean fake it doesn't mean fake don't be be yourself be somebody around the players be someone different around the coaches be someone different around everything the way you act at home and how you act with your family and when you when you're yourself that's how you have to be with these players now the thing is is that if you're not yourself your players will see through that and there's a disconnect there and any type of disconnect between a player and a coach is not good, right? So I think that being yourself is, you know, one of the most important aspects of your coaching philosophy. So two, now, objective two, define your coaching objectives. What does that mean? Now, defining your coaching objectives, what do you want your players to be? What do you want your team to be? Now we're talking baseball here. So do you want your team to be a defensive team that relies on pitchers throwing strikes and being a situational offensive team? Are you a team that's going to steal a lot of bases? Are you a team that's going to hit their problems away? Are you a team that's going to rely strictly on their on your pitching to get guys out? Right? Your coaching objectives change year after year. Now, that's just the type of team you are when I mean you're objectives change. You might have a team one year that can hit the hell out of the ball and put the hit the ball out of the park and then that group of players leaves and then you have a team that's going to be more gritty and more uh, a grinder type team that bunts, that steals, that hits, that doesn't can't wait for the home run because they don't have a guy that can put the ball out consistently. So that's what those objectives change, your coaching objectives. Now, there are coaching objectives that should stay the same regardless. And that is how the team operates. The team should always operate with four components. Respect, responsibility, accountability, and coachability. Those four things. Okay? So those four things should be the foundation of your philosophy. Now, those are my four. And I clearly define them to my players in the winter. So they know what to expect. I don't hide the ball on them. But here's the thing. A lot of coaches will say all these buzzwords and then they won't follow through with them. They're just words. Okay? If you have coaching objectives, you uh, coaching objectives, you need to follow through. So let's say one of your objectives is, you know, every you know, we respect the game of baseball. That's hustling on and off the field, that's not arguing with umpires, that's not throwing your equipment. And your star player in the first game of the year starts going off, whether it's throwing equipment, whether it's mouthing off to an umpire, being disrespectful to the other team. So now, what do you do? He's your best player. You take him out, you let it go, and say, hey, he's our star player. You take him out. You set that precedent because your best player is most likely your captain. So if your captain is not following your philosophy and your objectives of what you want your team to represent, you have to make an example, right? Because once you take out your star player, 
the other players will say, oh my God, coach just took out so-and-so and he's our best player. He doesn't care about winning this game. He's trying to set a precedent. Now, there's a bunch of ways you could do this. You, you never want to make a player feel like you're coming down on them in front of everybody. So what I would do in that situation was I'd let the game play itself out. I'd make a note in my score on my scorecard, on my lineup card, and I would pull him aside after the game and talk to him about it. And then I would make him address the team at practice the next day. So everything happens between, it doesn't become this big thing. The kid's not embarrassed. The kid doesn't, you know, shut down on you. You have a man-to-man conversation with him after the game. You know, you 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 air it out. You talk to him. You say, this is not acceptable. Next, you know, next time I'm going to actually pull you in front of people. And then you say, you owe your teammates an apology. They make the apology. You move on. It's done. Now, that's coaching objectives in real time. So the key is here is to follow through with your objectives, no matter what they are. If they are as simple as, you know, making sure the equipment comes in after practice and somebody forgets it, right? And you say, if somebody forgets the equipment, you're running laps. They forget the equipment, they run laps. Don't just threaten, follow through. Because you know what? It's going to pay off in the long run when you're in a playoff game and you and your kids and your players trust you and and want you to lead them into battle because they know that you mean it and they know that you are real and they know that you are there for them and that you practice what you preach. All right? So that's defining your coach's objectives. Now, you shouldn't define them on the spot, Right? You think about them over the course of the year. You reflect. Okay, this worked last year. Let's do it. This didn't work. How are we going to do that? Right? How How is my team going to look to other people? Now, I'm a big proponent. And I don't care what people think. I don't. But when you're talking about school ball and you're talking about college coaches being around, you're talking about big-time travel teams being around, that's when you need to have your reputation be a good reputation so that the players get the opportunity to extend their baseball careers to the next level if they choose to. Okay. So now this kind of goes into the next one, which is the third objective is to establish rules. Seems simple. It is simple. But the problem is, is that you have a lot of coaches out there who establish rules in the beginning and don't follow through. You know, now what you need to do is establish the rules early early as early as you possibly can whether that's rules being be at practice on time you know 15 minutes be at practice 15 minutes before it's supposed to start make sure you're wearing the certain certain uniform or certain garb during practice make sure that the equipment comes down make sure we have the medical kit make sure we have baseballs, bats, helmets, whatever the case may be. Establish those rules early. So what I like to do is my rules change based on the season. So if I'm coaching school ball, my rules are a lot different than if I'm coaching summer ball. In the spring, the when I'm in the school system and I'm coaching at my school, my rules are very simple. I don't let the upperclassmen choose 
equipment barriers who, who or equipment bringers or, you know, whatever. I say that everybody deserves to carry equipment no matter how long you've been on the team. You guys are a team. There's no hierarchy. So what I like to do is I send an email out a week with the schedule to the parents and to the players for them to expect so they know what to expect so they can be prepared. And then on game day, I have a list of equipment that needs to come to the field or on the bus and it changes per game. Now, you might have a player that comes up to you and say, hey, coach, I don't mind carrying the bucket every day. If a player offers that to you and you feel like it's it's okay, let them do it, right? One of the things I like to do for home games is I like to take the, the, the baseballs, the game balls. The starting pitcher of that day carries the game balls, whoever's starting that day. So it changes. Um... Whoever, uh, who, for the helmets, I just do a rotating thing. Everybody has to carry equipment at least once or twice throughout the course of a season. And I follow through with that. And it works because kids don't feel like they're being picked on because they are not the only ones carrying equipment. Everybody is. So that's one rule that's big for me. The second rule is communication. Now, this is not a rule in the sense of, you know, communication is obvious. You're going to be communicating. That's not how I mean it. Communicate with your players what you expect, your rules, right? You have to communicate your rules, so that should be a rule in itself. Have open lines of communication with your kids because if they don't know the rules, they're not going to follow them, right? But communicate them in a way where they feel that they had a say in what the rules were, right? Now, you're you're going to be with your players for two, three, four, maybe six months sometimes. They need to have some type of say in the rules because then they'll follow the rules. They don't feel like you're just throwing rules on them, right? And communicating with roles on the team so you don't have problems with playing time and things like that as well is important to establish that rule because... In my all of my years of coaching, I might have had two instances where play, uh, parents didn't talk about, uh, complained about playing time for their sons. And when I talked to them and I explained to them that we talked about the role, you know, I established roles with the kids and I'm moving people around as best I can and, and stuff like that, the conversation died. It didn't blow up. So that's what you need to do. You need to have that tough one-on-one with the players to say, hey, you're my starting shortstop. You're my starting second baseman as of right now, right? Oh, you're our fourth outfielder. You're going to play every every couple. You're not going to start, but you're going to, you might come in late in games as defensive replacement. You might come in as a pinch runner, pinch hitter. You might start, if there's three games, you might start one of the three games. Set expectations for the kids so they know that when they check the lineup card every day, they know what to expect. Now, coaches fall into this trap all the time. They have their nine or their 10, and they run out their nine or 10 guys. DH makes 10 players, 10 guys that are playing out of 18, let's say. So you got a seven-man bench, eight-man bench. Um, you know, you, you fall into that trap to the sense of where you're not getting the other players in, and you're exhausting your nine guys, right? Right? Yeah, as a coach, you have to put 
the your philosophy has to be in mind of the to, the entire roster, not just nine guys. If you have 18 guys, I bet you there's one in one way, shape, or form, all those 18 guys can contribute to your team's success. In game, not just in practice, in game. Why is it that coaches, there's a player who will bust his butt in practice, and the starter is not busting his place late to practice, he's unprepared. Why doesn't the kid that that is prepared get a chance? He should, Right? But if you if you establish those rules, the players know that their hard work isn't going unnoticed, right? So then you're building more building blocks in your foundation, in your coaching philosophy to have a successful season, okay? Now, next one, number four, build and nurture relationships with your athletes or with your ball players. This is probably a standalone. I could probably do an entire episode on this by itself, and I'm going to. Your relationship with your players are so important. I can't stress how important they are, and that's for every level, right? I Every season, I myself, I make a point to go to talk to every player and just ask, hey, you know, like, you play under the positions, you know, what's your favorite team, you know, just get to know them, what's your favorite show, what music do you listen to? Simple things like that go such a long way. You know, it's funny because I have players now who are in co- that I've coached that are in college. I have players that I've been coaching now at the school for four years. They're seniors now. And one of the most important things is, for me, is some of them I don't even call by their real names. I have nicknames for them. And they're comfortable with my nicknames because I have that relationship for, with them. They know me. Like, my relationship with my players is probably, I hold dear because I have a relationship with some guys now that I've coached years ago that I still talk to, that still come to me for advice, that still ask me questions, that still want to be involved, right? You don't get that by just coaching them. You get that by getting to know your player. You know, one of the things that's important with this, and you know, like I said, we're going to do a whole episode on this regu- uh, uh, down the road, is the fact that each player is different, right? How I like to be coached is different than my teammate, right? I might be a guy who likes to get yelled at, who likes to have a hard-nosed coach who gets in my face and challenges me, where another player might want to be patted on the back, tell him everything's going to be okay, and you baby him a little bit more. Right? That's that's knowing your having a relationship with your athletes will give you that key. Right? Because if a team doesn't trust their coach, their head coach, no matter how good your team is, it's going to be unsuccessful. Why? Players are going to argue. Players aren't going to listen to you. Players are just going to do their own thing and it's going to become a circus wheel or a circus wagon at practice. And how are you supposed to get things done and get better? So I'm not, that's all I'm really going to say with build and nurture relationships with athletes because I really want to get more into that, and we will. Um, number five, be organized. Right? Simple. But it's a lot of coaches aren't organized. Have your pitch counter ready. Have your book. Have your lineup card written out, ready to go before you get to the field. Right? 
Now, if you have to make changes, you make changes. Somebody's hurt, somebody comes up sick, somebody gets kicked out of school that day and they can't play, whatever the case may be, or somebody, you know, gets stuck in traffic, they're going to be late, like, whatever. Be prepared and organized. If you're going to tell your parents and your players, you're going to email them on Monday by 3 o'clock on a Monday, you better email them by 3 o'clock on a Monday. Right? If, if you tell your kids, we're going to go over this in practice, be organized to do that at practice the next day. Right? Because if you are unorganized, the players are going to see that and they're not going to trust you. Make sure your book is ready. Make sure you have the helmets. Make sure you have balls. Make sure you have everything accounted for so that you can start practice on time, so you can get done what you need to get done, and the players see that there's a structure. If you're not organized, there's no structure. Now, from an experience case here, when I was an assistant coach a couple of years ago at a different school that I'm not at right now, I was working with the head coach and he was late to practice one day. And we'll get there too because that's also part of being organized. The players are coming up to me saying, Coach Puma, Coach Puma, what are we doing today? And it was I was so uncomfortable because I didn't know. Because I, did, I the coach wasn't organized. I could tell you right now what the practice is. The practice was run, stretch, throw, talk for a half an hour, which was a waste, hit BP, go home. Take an I.O. maybe. That was it. We didn't work on cutoffs. We didn't work on relays. We didn't work on uh, defensive work, t- turns at second base, pickoff plays. We didn't work on anything. That was all practice was. Now, if you're organized, you're able to do those things. And you communicate with the people that you need to communicate with. And if they get to the field before you, they can say, yeah, you know, this is what we're doing today. We're going to get started. Coach will be here in a minute. He was in a meeting or he's just hit traffic or something. Now let's turn it around and we'll get started. When he gets here, well, he'll just jump in with us. That's how a smooth, organized coach program works. Now, also you want to be organized because if you have a junior or a 16, 17-year-old that is looking to play in college and is starting the recruiting process, you want to be organized to help them, Right? You want to be organized so when a college coach calls you, you can say, hey, I want to talk about your second baseman here. What do you think? And then if you're taught and you're organized and you have that information in front of you, you can say, yeah, you know, my second baseman has been starting for me for the last couple of years. Um, this is where he he's weak, but he's working on it. This is where his strengths are. You know, this is how he is as a person. Because people forget that when college coaches are calling for a player or coming to see a player, It's not to see how good they are at the sport. It's to see how they act when they fail in a game and how they act with their teammates and how they act with their coaching staff. And that's what they're looking for. They already know you can catch and throw the baseball or throw strikes or they wouldn't be coming. And an organized coach can help that player in that scenario. So being organized is important. Now, being organized also comes into my last part of this list, which is involving your assistant coaches. Now, they usually a varsity team has the head coach and two assistants, sometimes three assistants. The JV sometimes doesn't even have an assistant. Sometimes they do. It depends on your school district. 
Sometimes modified only has one coach as well. So you're by yourself. Uh, Little League, there's always two coaches. There's always one father, and then there's a father of somebody else that's coaching. No matter what, if you have an assistant coach, use them, communicate with them, keep them involved. So as a head coach in my state, I've had a ton of different assistant coaches. And there's one coach that I had over the summer um, and with the Westchester Lightning. And me and him were together for four years. And we haven't coached a game together in about two years now because the, the team, my team folded because all the team, all the players aged out and we didn't build, we were focused on that group. We didn't build behind it and we should have. And I regret not building behind it. But he became such an integral part of the organization as an assistant. Why? He helped, he helped balance the budget. He helped send emails. He helped at practice. He helped during the game. I can't remember how many times during a game I would look at him and say, hey, what do you think? Should we take him out? Take, take this pitcher out? Who do you want to put in? Should we, should we, do you want to bunt a little bit more? Should we steal? You know, me and him had signs from the third base coach's box to the first base coach's box. He would sign me an idea. Um, you know, and, and if there was one game that we won in a tournament in the summer, that if it wasn't for him, we would have lost. So involving your your coaches, so the coaches know what your philosophy is, what you expect from the team, what you expect to practice, what you expect during a game. If the assistant coach is behind you in that and knows that, you're going to be even more successful because then you have a second person to help carry that water. Um, so that's really important because if you don't have a coaching staff that's together, the players see that. And it turns into players going to the assistant coach asking, why am I not playing? Why am I not doing this? Why are we doing that? And it just looks bad because it shows. You might not think it shows, but it shows. Now, when you talk about little kids and you're talking about Little League and things like that, you know, there's a bunch of different intricacies when it comes to Little League because what kid is there because their parents just signed them up to get them out of the house? What kid actually wants to be there? What kid is not very good, but you're trying to be fair? What what who's who's your who what father is helping you coach? Is he a father of a good player? Does the father know the game? Is he just there to support his child? Like that makes it a little bit more difficult. Right? But the more you the more you work together with your assistant coach, no matter what their level of IQ is or what their level of baseball knowledge is, is so important because it gives you another bridge to the players and it gives you another voice because sometimes the players don't want to hear your voice. They want to hear the assistant coach. The co- they, they, they need a different voice to tell them what to do. Because if you're constantly working everything and you're constantly in control and you're constantly yelling at them and you're constantly berating them or not, or constantly giving them information, they want a different voice. So how do you do that? You involve your assistants. When you go to practice, if you have three assistants, break the practice up into three sectors. Have one coach coach one sector, have another coach coach another, and have the third coach coach another. And then you have your section. That's four sections of baseball. You know, because what if the JV's practicing with you? That gives you four coaches, right? What if you have one field with two teams, right? Break the kids up. You get more done. 
So in this coaching philosophy episode that we're going through, you've got a lot of information here. So let me just go through it again. Be yourself, define your coaching objectives, establish your rule, build and nurture relationships with athletes, be organized, and involve your assistant coaches. Now, what you need to understand is the all of this is important and part of your philosophy. Now, there's two other instances here where you need to help. Now, this is also important because it's a long season sometimes and it's a grind. And you need to, and, and here leading into my next objective is helping athletes manage their stress. Now, this is difficult. And if you don't know your players, it's even more difficult. So how do you help athletes manage their stress? Now, you're dealing with teenage children, you're dealing with young children, and you're dealing with people, young people who are still maturing and still growing, and they don't know who they are yet as a person. They don't know how to handle failure. And especially in today in today's society, where everybody gets a trophy, everybody's patted on the back, told good job, and they don't know what failure actually is. And when they get that first taste of it, they don't know how to handle it. So it makes it it even magnifies the situation even more. So being a stress stress manager as well is so important because you might have a player who's who's slumping at any age group, you know, good ball player, always succeeds and finally hits his first rock in the road. Goes 0 for 8, 0 for 10 over the course of a week, can't do anything right, making errors in the field, you know, but he's a good ball player and he's stressed out and you can see it. His body language tells you. How do you handle that? You re, you can give reassurance to that player. You can tell your player, hey, listen, we should work a little bit on this. I see this. I see that. You know, you're dropping your back shoulder a little bit. You're chasing too many pitches out of the zone. You're you're bringing your at bats into the field, which is making you cause making you make errors in the field, right? But that's just stress inside the game. What if there's a stress outside of the game? Schoolwork, parents. Um, you know, this is this is true. What if they had a, the love of their life, quote unquote, broke up with them that day? What if they asked somebody to prom and they said no? What if they failed a test or a major exam? What if they didn't do well on their SATs or their ACTs? Maybe what if there was an argument with the parent at home? Maybe a family member passed away. There are so many things. And if you could be that light for the player to go to, it's so important. And I'm not just talking about them being on the field. I'm just talking to them as a person. You know, we label these players. They're, our, they're my players. Yeah, but they're also people. And they have personalities and they have feelings. And they you need to be able to manage that to be successful. Right? You know, one of my main goals, long-term goals, is once I set myself in a program and I take that program over and I'm doing my thing and you know, having success and doing well. I want my old players to come back. I want to be able to have an alumni dinner or an alumni game and have the people and have the the players come back. Why? Because I cared about them as a person. I cared about them, their well-being. Right? I gave them a break when I needed to. I, I, I communicated with them. I had that one-on-one or a heart-to-heart with them and they needed it if somebody else wouldn't do it, right? That's your job too. 
You're not just their baseball coach. You spend probably just as much time with them as, as anybody else during a course of a season. You see them every day. You're with them two to three, four hours a day. You see them on the weekend sometimes, right? If you they know that you're in their corner and you view them as somebody other than just a person, uh, other than just a player, and you see them as a person, that'll advance your team. And having that in your philosophy bag is important because if you don't, you're going to struggle. You're going to have players not communicate with you and not show up to practice. You're going to be like, where are these guys? Why aren't they not here? Because you don't know. Because you didn't take the time to know. You got so wrapped up in your team and winning that you forgot that as much as winning is important, it's also important to know your players so that they can enjoy it too. Right? And last but not least, you have to focus on the big picture. What's your big picture for the season? What's your big picture for your program? What's your big picture for you? Right? And all of these things kind of touch on your big picture. Right? You should have a goal in mind for your team going into a season. I want to make the playoffs. That's a good goal, but it's not it's not tangible. You know, one goal that I like to 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 throw on my players is I want to score 100 runs this year. I want to score 100 runs this year. Now, sometimes it's tough because if you only play 7 8 games, you know, you got to average over 10 runs a game to score 100 runs, but it's a reachable goal. You know, attainable. I want to you know, have a game where we don't make an error. That's an attainable goal. I want to have three games in a row where we don't make an error. I want to have my pitchers go at least four innings, five innings. Like, you know, those are small goals in a bigger picture. And you should have little goals throughout the course of the season to get to your big goal. And everybody's big goal is to win championships. Everybody's big goal is, you know, to be on the top of the mountain at the end of the year. Right, And if you just have that one big goal, it's it seems unattainable because you, you, you don't have benchmarks for the players to get to. So if you have benchmarks for the players to get to as a team, it makes that goal not it, it makes that goal seem more reachable. Now you have team goals and then you can have player goals. I did something. I got it from a movie. Um, it was accountability buddies. And what I did was was I had players write their goals on an index card, hand them to me, and then I handed them out to different players, and those two players worked together to keep each other together to maintain their goals, whether that was to hit 300, whether that was to make the starting lineup, whether that was to throw 40 innings in a season or 30 innings in a season, uh, maybe develop a second pitch or a third pitch, you know, or maybe, you know, strike out 10 times in a 10-game season. You know, some, you know, I'm just throwing things out there. But just goals like that for your players, so then they're focusing on their personal goals and the team goals at the same time, and the situation doesn't get too big for them. Because if you walk in that first day and say, I want to win a championship, and that's it, the players are going to be like, okay, how do we get there? What's the map? And if you build the map for them, it makes the journey that much sweeter, and it makes it that much more fun, and it makes it attainable, right? And that's how you focus on the big picture. So now... We've covered a lot in this episode so far. So the list that we have so far 
is be yourself, define your coaching objectives, establish your rules, build and nurture your relationships with athletes, be organized, involve your assistant coaches, help athletes manage their stress, and focus on the big picture. Now, the these are not in any order. I covered them in this order, but you can do them in any order. You can have them prioritized in different ways, right? I, I, I don't prioritize them in this way, my in my way, right? I prioritize them in different ways. I, I think that building nurturing, nurturing relationships with players is the most important thing. I think that helping athletes manage their stress is just as important and should be at the top of your list, right? Because if you have players who are in a good frame of mind that you know that they, that they feel comfortable with you, you're going to go be able to attain the other goals. So just be mindful of that. Be mindful of what is important to you. So when you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, okay, well, Coach Puma said A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm going to do it in that order. You don't have to do it in that order. Do it in the order you feel more comfortable with. Do it in the order you feel is important. But also know that this that this is should change year to year based on your players. After you get to know your players and nurture their relationships, get to know them. Then you can build your big picture. Then you can build around that, right? And, you know, one of the biggest ways, now here's a tip, and here, you know, this is kind of the next, the, our next episode, episode two, will be on build building and nurturing relationships with athletes. So I'm just going to give you a quick snippet of that. One example of doing it and how to do it. Now, I'm going to go with the school model first. So if you're coaching in a school, modified, JV, freshman, varsity, whatever, club, you need one of the best ways to get to know your your players is on the bus. Now, I remember so many coaches hanging out in front of the bus, quiet bus ride, people got their music in, they're, they're, or they're talking in the back, of the, causing problems in the back of the bus, whatever. Why don't you go sit with some of your players and talk to them? Have a conversation with them. Be a, be a human, a human being. Yeah, there's a fine line between a coach and a friend, but you can be both. If you're able to if you're able to to set up that boundary so when the player knows when you're their coach and then the player knows when you're their friend, that'll be important. But if you show them that you're a human just as much as you are just a coach, that'll make them better. It'll make them better people, it'll make them a better ball player for you, it'll make them a better player for the next coach that they're going to have. And you build that, right? So that's the school model. The summer model or the little league model are the same. When you have a, I remember when I first started coaching, I was big on team building, they call it. And I used to have outings with the kids uh, and the parents as well. You know, we would go bowling together. We would go play laser tag together as a team. We'd go play pool. We'd go, you know, we all go to a Yankee game or a baseball game of some sort. Like, hanging out outside of the sport helps build and nurture that relationship. And I'm going to get more into detail on what exactly I did in the next episode. But that's so important. Because you can't do everything else without that. 
You can't do, you can't establish rules and you can't focus on a big picture if you don't, and be yourself too, because that's also going under the umbrella of being yourself if you don't know your players. And in your coaching philosophy, knowing your players should be on your list. If you sit down and you put, okay, if you sit down with, with a piece of paper and say, all right, I'm going to write down my coaching philosophy and nurturing and building relationships is not on there, you're doing it wrong. 100% doing it wrong. Now, you could do it in different ways, but it should be on there, right? You know, and you should try to do it off the field just as much as on the field, you know? And there's a fine line as well as a coach because you need to establish that relationship that you're their coach, but you also can and shouldn't be limited to just a coach relationship. You should be able to be a friend. I had a conversation with um, a player that graduated last year. He's pitching at Penn um, right now. He's a freshman. And I had an hour conversation with him because I built that relationship with him the other day. Just talking. We, we, we talked about everything. We talked about baseball, his life, outside of baseball, how he's doing, whatever. And that type of relationship doesn't happen with, unless you put work into it. So realize that. And realize that if you don't have that relationship, it's, it's, you're going to go nowhere. No matter how much talent you have. Right? Baseball is fun. It's made to be fun. And you got to keep it fun. Because you know something? That there, there's a saying. Um, baseball was made for kids. Parents just screw it up. Right? And if you're talking Little League or Spring Ball or Summer Ball, you're talking about a parent coaching your kid. Right? And they ruin it. And they ruin it for them. I, I, I can tell you, I, I, I can't remember how many players lost the love of the game that were good ball players that I know that don't play anymore because a coach ruined it or a parent that was a coach ruined it for them, right? You got to avoid that. And I feel for those people because something was taken away from them and not on their own terms. Now, we are going to get into all of that. And we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. The coaching philosophy is just the beginning. You know, there are so many aspects. I could probably do an episode on every aspect of the coaching philosophy and the importance of it. So that's what's pretty much what's going to happen with this show. And I believe that once this show starts to grow, this is only the first episode, but once it starts to grow, it'll start to make sense and it'll start to fit more. And I'm hoping that in this episode, you learn something. Now, now some housekeeping things. If you have a question for me and you want the question read online on the show, DM the Instagram page that we have for this show. And the Instagram handle for that show is at backwards K podcast. Give us a follow. Okay. You can DM the question, answer a post, answer a question on a post, and I'll answer your question while I'm recording. Um, there's going to be a guest next week when we record. That guest will be the player that was mentioned in this episode. And you'll get to hear about player relationships, our relationship, how we built that relationship, you know, and then we're going to get into the transition from 
high school baseball to college baseball. And we're going to talk about that and how players in, in high school ball outside of a few are never really prepared to go to college and get the college experience in the game of baseball. And we're going to talk about how we can, as coaches, and, and can we can better prepare for that, and we're going to get it from the player. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hit the subscribe button. Follow us on Instagram. We are now on eight platforms. So you can get this anywhere. Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Podcast.com, Anchor, Apple Podcast, just to name a few. So go there. Give us a five-star review if you like the show. Leave your comments down in the comment section below. Hit the subscribe button. And I will talk to you guys all next week. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.